Well, I came to faith um, when I was 24, and I was part of a faith community that believed um, the Great Commission. So this instruction that Jesus tosses out right before he departs, go and make disciples of all nations. And I believed that that meant that I should use pretty much every wake moment, every conversation, every event as an opportunity to share the good news. And the good news specifically was that Jesus died for our sins, rose again, breaking the power of sin and death, and everyone who called upon the name of the Lord to be saved would be saved. I learned from my friends that the first place for me to evangelize um, was my family. This was, of course, a big deal since my family is, in, is Jewish and had absolutely no interest um, in Jesus. Since I was convinced they were going to hell without Jesus, I pretty much used every wake moment to find a way to tell my family how glorious Jesus was. And as you might imagine, this did not go over well. My parents were likely Jewish atheists or um, agnostic, did not say thank you, honey, for, for sharing your faith with us, all the thoughts that we've had, the belief system that we've developed, we uh, are happy to lay down now that you've uh, told us the truth about Jesus, you rock. That did not happen. Um, I definitely wanted them to say that I was a youngest sibling um, who didn't feel terribly important in my family, and now that I held the keys to the kingdom of God where the gates of hell would not prevail, which I thought made me very important and compelling, um, and I thought it was a pretty straightforward, simple message, so it was pretty confusing to me that after months of my unrelenting badgering, their knees did not bow, and their tongues did not confess that Jesus was Lord. To um, be fair, it did work on me. My friend Heidi, when I was 24, told me about Jesus, and it took, and I love Jesus, and I love Jesus to this day. Now, you might think that I felt like a failure, but you would be wrong because I learned that it was not about me, it was about my parents' hardened hearts. My friends assured me that all of this was quite normal. A prophet, they told me, was never welcome in uh, his, or in my case, her hometown. So this morning, we're reading a story about Jesus preaching in his hometown. And what we might be asking, um, as we listen is, what is a prophet? Who are prophets? Why didn't Jesus do any miracles in his hometown? What are the invitations actually for us? And our scripture begins in Luke 4. So up at this point in Luke, we've learned about Jesus' birth, Jesus' adolescence, his weathering, um, his time in the wilderness with temptations, and now Jesus is launching his ministry in Galilee. So we're starting in uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 14. 
Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. So it's noteworthy that everyone praised him. Poet Maya Angelou says you are only free when you realize you belong no place. You belong every place, no place at all. The price is high, the reward is great. More and more, Maya says, I belong to myself. In other words, the fact that everyone praised Jesus, at least according to Maya Angelou, would neither have been good or bad, but definitely not Jesus' goal. She's making a point about our not being beholden to anyone or anything. So keep this in mind as we read. Also, in Jesus' time, um, synagogues grew up parallel with temples. So the temple would have been where uh, people made pilgrimages to, where they uh, made their sacrifices. The synagogue might have been closer to what we think of today as a community center, and at that time it was um, used often for people to study scripture together in the community. So in verse 16, Jesus went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went in the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. She has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then Jesus rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and set, sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So if you're picturing this, Jesus is handed a pretty large scroll. So I grew up going to the synagogue, and we would have seen the rabbi reading from a scroll called the Torah. Um, and the book itself, the book of Isaiah, was chosen for Jesus and handed to Jesus. And then Jesus sets out the arduous task of finding the passage, like there's no electronic table of contents. So you're just rolling until you get that. So there's kind of a pause in what's happening. And then Jesus chooses this very specific scripture where he's seemingly appropriating Isaiah's words for himself. God has called me, set me apart for these purposes. So a pretty bold claim. Nonetheless, in 22, it says, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. So at this point, Jesus is beloved. He's amazing. Like, I think I might have had a hard time with Jesus choosing this uh, particular reading, basically saying, I'm the new Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, I am the man of the hour. I think that's probably how I sounded to my parents, so I kind of got why they might have had a hard time. But Jesus is declaring himself to be something extraordinary, and everyone is good with it and thinks that he's amazing. 
And at this moment, the prophet is quite welcome in his own town. But Jesus can't seem to leave well enough alone. So in verse 23, Jesus says, Surely you'll quote this proverb to me. You'll say, Physician, heal yourself. And you'll tell me, Do here in your hometown what we've heard you did in Capernaum. So when Jesus says, Physician, heal yourself, he's saying, This is Nazareth. So this is Jesus' hometown. You've done this elsewhere. You've healed. You've worked your miracles elsewhere. What we've heard in Capernaum, do them here. In verse 24, truly, I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you, there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the year, throughout the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, so any of the people of Israel, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. So Jesus is paraphrasing a couple stories from the Old Testament where God chose to heal not the people of Israel, but people beyond Israel's borders, Gentiles. So in other words, Jesus is saying God is never owned by a certain people and neither is Jesus. No one, even Nazareth, Jesus' hometown, has special status. So this would have been a hard message. He's been preaching in Galilee, news about him has spread. So there's real expectation. We know what you do. We've, we've heard the stories. And now you're in your hometown. So the expectations are high. You can do miracles in other places, but you can't do them here. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up and drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the, hill, uh, the, brow of the, hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. So they're very angry. But he walked right through the crowd on his way. So we have the story of Jesus launching his ministry in his hometown. He starts out preaching or teaching the scriptures, and everyone is impressed. Everyone is amazed. Everyone thinks that Jesus is great. And then it's like he's channeling his inner Maya, right? And he says, I don't belong to anyone. And my goal, it's never going to be for you to like me. My goal will never be that. And so Jesus says some unpopular things, and the crowd does what crowds can do. They change on a dime. I listened to a couple Bible scholars who were discussing this passage, and they got to the end where the crowd wants to kill Jesus and throw him off the cliff, and magically Jesus um, eludes them. And, and they had two theories. One was that somehow God miraculously rescues Jesus and transports him. And this is, all, after all, Jesus who walks on water and who at least in his resurrected body walks through walls. So this is how I've learned the passage or understood it, that God just gives Jesus favorites, not Jesus' time um, yet. Um, but the second theory 
was that Luke was describing Jesus' not getting sucked in by the needs of the crowd or his ability to navigate the whole time being true to God. However it comes to be, Jesus is not thrown off the cliff. The launching um, of, the, of his mission placed early in Luke's gospel, and Jesus has already made enemies. So here's some observations um, and some takeaways. Number one, the gospel of Luke is the very first we hear of Jesus's mission. And it's as though Jesus is saying, this is what the gospel is. This is what the good news of God is. So if we as a faith community are not prioritizing the poor, if we're not prioritizing freedom for captives of all kind, if we're not prioritizing recovery of sight or continually seeing what we have been blind to, then we can assume that we're not prioritizing the gospel. Our invitation is to proclaim liberty and healing. Number two, prophets reveal truth about us. So Jesus was exposing the hearts of humans when he said this will never be about any in-group, never be who's in and who's out. This will never be about status, where you come from, because God's love has no boundaries. At the point that our first gay friends started attending this church some years ago now, we would have thought we were honoring the scripture as we welcomed folks into our community while turning down requests to officiate at gay weddings, knowing that we could not ordain a practicing gay person, and so on. And it was in relationship with our LGBTQ community that I learned the difference of welcoming, which is code for kindness, and full inclusion, which is code for being treated like everyone else in every way. Kevo, Katie, Michelle, Amanda, countless others of our early friends became prophetic voices revealing us to us, revealing me to me, revealing our exclusionary practices, our unhelpful language, our wrong thinking in all kinds of ways. Again and again, they opened scripture to us. They became God's word to us, expanding our understanding of God's extravagant love for all creation. They preached the gospel to us with their lives and with their friendship. The truth is, sadly, they were not the first prophets that God sent us. They were just the first ones we listened to. We kill prophets because they tell us what we don't want to hear. Martin Luther King, Dr. King, revealed America to America 
and we killed him. Jesus revealed humanity, our proclivities, our lust for power, how we misuse it to the people of his day. Isaiah was proclaiming good news for the poor because there wasn't good news. He was saying, God wants to do a new thing. In other words, this thing isn't happening. Prophets are hated because they expose dominant culture, because they're bad news, typically, those who are benefiting from the status quo. Number three, why proclaim it, Jesus? and then not do it. Why did Jesus proclaim the gospel? But then instead of modeling it like he did elsewhere, he poked at or provoked the community. So I was taught that a prophet couldn't do miracles in their own town because maybe uh, everybody knew them. They knew them when they were kids and didn't accept their gifting. Like, wait, isn't this Joseph's son? And so like, maybe they wouldn't have faith uh, for, for the prophet to do miracles. But in our story, the people are amazed that it's Joseph's son. Maybe they remember Jesus as that 12-year-old who is dazzling the rabbis in the synagogue. Jesus is universally loved as he unpacks the scripture. So apparently Jesus is welcome until he assumes the prophetic role. It's when Jesus says there is no home team advantage that the town goes nuts. Is that as if Jesus is saying, I know the hearts of man, I know the hearts of humans. I know that everyone wants to find a way to be on that in team. Peter and John want to sit on the right hand and the left hand side of Jesus. We live it so much that we can't always see it. And Jesus, not afraid of offending anyone, including his hometown. Jesus, not beholden to anyone, says, I don't do special, and I won't be co-opted by anyone or any group. So number four, we're going to do as a reflection. Um, Jesus had the approval of the crowd, but he knew that that wasn't the goal. So I thought before we finish this morning, we could take a moment. I'm going to invite God's presence to be with us. And we can ask this question. Where in our life are we, am I, beholden to people or beholden to a particular crowd? And how would my witness, how would what I believe look differently if I wasn't beholden in that way. So Holy Spirit, we invite your presence with us. We thank you that you are a God who opens the eyes of the blind and you help us to see. Can you show us 
those places in our lives where we're liked, but maybe where it's hard as a result to have the prophetic witness that we're invited to have. Amen. I'm realizing as I did that exercise with you guys that we could have made our decision to be inclusive a couple years earlier, but I was really working hard with wanting to be liked by my own congregation as we were moving towards making a choice that would not be unilaterally accepted. It was costly. I'll close with this. Over time, I gave up trying to convince my parents, my mom and dad, what to believe. And slowly I learned how to love them for who they were. I became more curious about them. I talked less. I listened more. And I actually discovered that in their kindness and generosity and attentiveness to their neighbor. They lived out Isaiah's words <clears throat> better than most people I knew. Then some 30 years later, 30 years since I first came to faith, when my need to have them share my beliefs had long uh, baited, I got a phone call from my mother. I was in uh, California at that time at Fuller Seminary, completing my doctoral studies, which I began when I was 50, if anyone's still considering going back to school, you have time. And I still remember my mom saying, honey, she's in her 80s, when you get back from California, I'm wondering if you could come to Chicago. She said, I know it's taken a while, but I'm very curious about your relationship with God. I wonder if you'd be willing to talk about it with me. So I did. Three decades later, after I'd come to faith, quite a bit of evolving in that faith had happened, I drove with my then 12-year-old daughter, Cassie, from Iowa City to Chicago. We grabbed some Thai food to bring up to my mom's condo, and we had a conversation about Jesus and about God and how and why I came to faith and what that looked like and what it meant to me and what God had meant to me over the years and what my walk or experience daily with God was like. And it was a much 
different talk than it would have been 30 years earlier. My dad, at that point, had been deceased for about a year. Um, and I got the feeling that my mom was saying things to me during that conversation that she hadn't really said out loud to anybody. Um, she said, honey, thank you for telling me all that. I'm so glad to hear it, and I'm so glad to know you. She said, you know, Dad's been gone for a while, but I still talk to him every night. I tell him about my day, and I tell him how much I'll always love him. And then she looked at me and she said, honey, and she uh, had the look like she wanted to make sure I heard uh, what she was saying, and I understood all that she meant. She said, and honey, I talk to God now, every night. After talking to Dad, and then talking to God, I'm ready for sleep. My mom died peacefully soon after that. Amen.